Now we come up to chapter 3, and Paul's going to talk about what it means to be a mature Christian, and he's going to start off by what it means to be an immature Christian. Talking about maturity and immaturity, you know, there is a new word that has been invented since the coming of the millennials. The millennials is the largest generation in American history. I'm told there's about 85 million of them born between 1984 and the year 2000. Now, my son-in-law, Craig Olson, who's a pastor, he was born in the year 1984, and he loves that, uh, that fact that he is now still considered a millennial, even though he's now, what, 34 years old? So anyway, the millennial generation, they invented a word called adulting. Adultery, not adultery. I know where I, when I first heard the word too, I was thinking, is that like adultery? No, it's not the same thing. Adulting um, is a word that is where somebody who may look like an adult on the outside may not be acting like an adult uh, in their behavior from the inside. You know, we'd call them an adultolescent, right? They're, so in other words, to be, to be adulting is, a, is kind of a verb that means you're now carrying out the duties and the responsibilities that are expected of you when you become an adult. You need to be adulting. You need to be doing things like, well, you need maybe to get a job. And maybe you need to keep a job, you know, not just get a job and keep losing a job. So get and keep a job. Um, pay your rent or mortgage. That sort of would imply living independently from somebody else. Uh, pay your taxes, feed yourself and your family. You know, I, I remember the Carl's Jr. commercial where I used to watch that. And, and there was a guy in the kitchen looking at all these raw ingredients. And then it says, Carl's Jr., without it, some men would starve, you know. <laughs> Uh, so the ability to, to feed yourself and maybe your family by this time, if you have your family, keep your bills paid. Uh, maybe, hopefully, this is the, the generation where they actually get married. They commit themselves exclusively to one person. Lisa and I, of course, last night, because it's Saturday night, we watched another Hallmark movie. I can tell you all about it. But, uh, but it, was it was a beautiful because they actually had the wedding ceremony and they didn't just skip through their wedding ceremony and get to the kiss and the movie ends and everybody's happy. They actually had the wedding ceremony and they talked about the vows and it says, do you take this other person to be your lawfully wedded wife? And it said at the end of the vows, forsaking all others, forsaking all others. The idea that we would commit exclusively one man to one woman for life, that's kind of an adult concept. That's kind of, it takes maturity to make and keep commitments like that. And uh, the problem with the Corinthians was uh, they were kind of adultolescent in their behavior. And, and Paul was going to call them out on it. There is a time when we need to grow up in the Christian faith. So Paul says these words, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I could not talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Wow, that's kind of a smack in the face. Can you imagine being the Corinthians? He, Paul says, I could, you know, you claim to be Christ followers. I couldn't even talk to you as though you were spiritual. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you were not ready for anything stronger. You know, the basic question is, why don't you give meat to a baby? 
Why don't you give me to a baby? I'd love to have a graphic I could show you. You know, it has this six-month-old baby sitting in a high chair, you know, and somebody smacks down a T-bone steak right in front of the baby and, and gives him a fork and a knife and says, here, Junior, have at it, right? It's a ridiculous idea because a baby does not have the digestive system. They cannot digest that kind of food. So there is a time. Uh, when it's okay to be a baby. There's times when we first became Christ followers, right? Uh, we all started off out the Christian life as spiritual babies. And living as a faithful Christ follower, that's a lifelong pursuit. Nobody can claim complete spiritual maturity. One of the last letters Paul wrote in the New Testament was Philippians. And he says, not that I have obtained all this, I'm not there yet in my spiritual walk. I am forgetting what is behind and I'm pressing on toward what is ahead. Even Paul would say that as an old man who'd been following Jesus for 30 years and being an apostle. Sometimes a person doesn't act very Christian, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he or she is not a Christian. When people are young in their faith, we need to allow them a lot of grace and patience and give them time to grow up. People like Paul, they were gifted to help people, to help babies, new believers in Christ, to grow up in their faith and in Christ's likeness. Now, when you think about a physical development of a child, isn't it sad that if you've ever seen a child who maybe they're four or five years old and they can't yet walk, they can't yet talk, they, they're not potty trained, they can't feed themselves perhaps at the dinner table, most of us would look at a child like that and say, oh, that's kind of, that's sad. That's, uh, that's uh, they're underdeveloped or something's wrong. Maybe they have a learning disability or a physical disability. And the parents would do everything they could to try to find out what is wrong with their child to see if there's anything that can be done to help the child grow up and develop properly. So Paul is basically saying to the Corinthians, you guys need to grow up. You're acting very immaturely, and let me give you an example, the main example that I've been talking about of what makes you so immature, though you think, Corinthians, that you've got it all together. And, and Paul says these words, and you still aren't ready. You still aren't ready for solid food. I can't give it to you yet, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people in the world? You know, guys, you're, you're, you're still choosing favorites. You're, you're still acting like in the church there's a competition. You know, who's the best preacher? Is this, this is like American Idol or The Voice or something. And we're going to whittle down. You know, we're going to have 10 preachers get up there and, and preach and teach. And you guys are going to eliminate and vote two of them off the island every week until they get down to the end. You say, here's our favorite. Here's our winner. And, and Paul's saying, it's not a competition. The kingdom of God doesn't work that way. God blessed you, Corinthians. He's actually blessed you. You're abusing the blessing. He's blessed you with multiple talented preachers and teachers. And you're treating it like a competition and like you have to choose sides on which one you're going to be loyal to. So Paul's saying, as long as you're doing that, you're not acting with Christian maturity. So Paul continues and he talks about true Christian leadership beginning in verse 5. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? 
So now they're describing themselves as gifted as Apollos and Paul both were. He says, we are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And in the plan of God, God made it to where anybody who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ first has to hear and understand and believe the message of the good news. And that happens because somebody else who already is a follower of Christ, that person is proclaiming the message. Each of us does the work the Lord gave us. Whether they're super talented like Paul or they have other spiritual gifts, which we're going to get to when we get to chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, talking about the myriad of ways God has gifted every single person in the body of Christ. And if you are a Christ follower, God, I can guarantee you God has given you at least one spiritual gift. And I hope you figured out what that gift is, because when you use that spiritual gift, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be blessing other people. Now here's, I I put this in yellow to try to highlight this. Verse 6. This is the way it works in God's kingdom. Paul does his part, Apollos does his part, and God does his part. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. That, you know, it takes away uh, a little bit of uh, pomp from the preacher, right? Like I, as if the preacher can make anything grow spiritually, right? We are vessels to be used by God in his kingdom, but our job is to plant the seed. The seed is the gospel. The soil is your human hearts. And so the the seed of the gospel is planted in your hearts. And then another teacher comes along and maybe explains the gospel and teaches the word of God. And so they're watering that seed. But ultimately, spiritual transformation, growth takes place because God is at work and God is the one making it grow. And God can make it grow in your heart even more the more that you and I cooperate with God and, and quit resisting God. So Paul says, I planted. Paul was an apostle. Paul's work was a pioneer work. Paul said he always wanted to go places where Christ was not preached before so that he could be the first one to arrive in that culture and proclaim the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul brought the message of salvation. He planted. He planted the gospel in people's hearts. And then along comes another teacher like Apollos, and it says, Apollos watered. He worked in the already established church, edifying. In other words, Apollos' job was to take the new converts now and build them up and help them grow and explain the scriptures to them so they can understand what God is communicating to them and the life that God wants them to lead. And apparently, Apollos did a terrific job of that. He worked in the, um, in the church. He was helping young Christ followers to grow stronger in their faith. Ultimately, though, whether it's Paul proclaiming or Apollos preaching and teaching, it is God himself. It says it was God who made it grow. It wasn't just, hum, it wasn't just human wisdom on display. It was the Holy Spirit's power at work through the teaching and the preaching of this human uh, vessel like Paul and Apollos. And so Paul says, you know, what's really important here? It's not important who does the planting. It's not important who does the watering. What's important Corinthians is that God makes the seed grow. In other words, I I think what Paul's saying in parentheses, so quit 
paying so much attention to either Paul or Apollos or some other Christian celebrity or superstar out there and realize that the, tr the transformation is happening because God is, is speaking and working through that person and God is the one who gets the credit. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. Hey, here's a great example of maturity. It's immature to try to create divisions in the church. It is mature to practice this, to have a church where one plants, the other waters, and they're all working together with the same purpose. That's what Paul said in the beginning. I appeal to you, Corinthians, that you are united in mind and thought, that you're working together with the same purpose. When you do that, you're going to see a mature, growing, developing, blessed church. That is where the unity, there's where the blessing is in the unity. So every team member, whether you're Paul, Apollos, you, or me in the church, every team member in the church has their own special role to play in the growth of God's church. You know, this, I read this quote. I really liked it. It says, leaders should not see themselves with super status. They should be acting with super service. You get the difference? Shouldn't, be at, shouldn't see themselves as people with super status. They should be acting with super service. God will bless the efforts of the person who plants the gospel and the person who waters is helping the church grow, to, grow as well. And the best way they're going to grow is when these two gifted kind of individuals, when they work together. Look about, you think about a seed, right? You think about somebody who plants and somebody who waters. It doesn't do much good to plant a seed if there's not going to be any water, right? Nor is it going to do any good to say, we got a lot of water, but there's no seeds, Right? You need both the seed and the water for that uh, to flourish and develop. So Paul just runs this analogy down uh, and tries to explain it. Both, God will bless and reward both kinds of service for him. He's not just turning over soil. You know, Paul says, I'm not just turning over soil and throwing a seed in there. God is doing more than that. That's the beginning of it, but God is going to continue it on through the gifts of other people. So now... You know, Paul says, okay, enough of the analogy about the agriculture, enough of the planting and the watering and the seed and all this. Now I'm going to switch and I'm going to give you another analogy of building up God's church by using uh, the term of building, by architecture and building. And so now Paul is talking about himself as an architect and a master builder. And he says this in verse 10, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder like a master architect. Now others are building on it. So in other words, Paul came and when he planted the gospel, he said, it's like building a building. And what I did was I dug out all the dirt and I laid the foundation. I made, I made the foundation so that now the structure of the building can be built up on something solid. And so others are now building on that foundation, but whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful Boy, I think that's, that's you know, when, you, when I hear those words, I say, okay, to somebody like me in leadership or somebody who's leading a, a, a life group or a Bible study or any group of people teaching kids downstairs, you are building on the foundation of the gospel. And it says, whoever does that, they need to be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you the difference between a true church of Jesus Christ and a cult. The true church of Jesus Christ never goes anywhere without the foundation of the death 
and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have life in him, that our sins are forgiven through his blood shed for us when he gave his life for us on the cross. There's the foundation. What happens with a cult where they get away from being a true church is they start saying that the foundation of their organization is something other than Jesus. Or it's Jesus plus, well, we'll start with naming the name of Jesus, and then we're going to go somewhere completely different than what the Bible teaches. We want to stay close to the foundation because no one can build on that foundation that, that is other than Jesus Christ. You've got to build that foundation with quality materials, right? Now, what are some of the quality materials? Let's go to the next verse. Quality materials. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels. There's the good stuff. There's six elements mentioned. Three of them are good, three are bad. The first three are the kind of elements that you want to have in your life as you are serving the Lord and doing ministry for the Lord. You want to have God see what you're doing and seeing the efforts that you're making to serve Him and to grow His kingdom. You want God to see what you're doing as gold and silver and precious jewels. You don't want the other three because the other three aren't going to do you any good because there's going to be a judgment coming and God is going to weigh the value of each person's work, right? Now, before I get to Judgment Day, just let me see this. You've got to build that foundation with quality materials. Let me just say what some of the quality materials are. What I would consider are gold and silver and jewels or precious stones. You know, teaching uh, uh, faithfully the Word of God, being in a steady diet of God's Word in your life, being a person of prayer, where you're praying to God every day and not just praying for yourself, like God bless me and whatever I'm doing, but God bless other people that you are also interceding for other people who need help in their lives. Uh, service of volunteering to serve. I, I was so impressed. Uh, I heard this last night. It was in the prayer meeting, but at the Redwood Gospel Mission. It was, it was Gene Armstrong, but it was other people too. It was Tracy and it was Raul and it was Phil and Christy. Um, Lawrence. In fact, Phil gave the word and April was there and there were other people on this team. It, it, it's awesome to see that, to hear, to come in on Sunday morning to pray for the services today and what God wants to do among us today and say, wow, during the week, our people were over at the Redwood Gospel Mission giving them the gospel, the good news through song and through the proclamation of the word of God. And, well, you know, they planted and they watered, and it's up to God to bring the growth, right? So, but they're doing that kind of work. They're doing that kind of work. I see that as gold and silver and precious jewels of having discipline in your life, of, of, of being a life of encouragement, not discouragement, of somebody who encourages others to stay strong in the faith like Barnabas did, somebody who's known for generosity in your life, somebody who's known as a person who, who's a person of worship of worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. And, and I love the, the idea that people come here and one of the main things they love about our church is I just love to come for the worship, you know? I knew guys, guys my age, guys that uh, uh, didn't think much of singing praises to God. They didn't think much of worship. They didn't think much of corporate prayer. In fact, they would come to the worship service and this is 20 some years ago, they would come to the worship service and sit in the back and they came in about 25 minutes because they knew the order of service and they knew when the message or when the sermon was going to begin. And that's all they came for. Now, 
Now, staying for the sermon, I'm grateful that you guys are still here, right? Because there's more, there's more to a worship service than singing songs and praises to God. But that's a big part of it, right? And, and what I thought about that person, especially the one I was thinking of, was, was he's coming in and he says, I just want a word from God for me and my life today. I want some encouragement. I want something. Give me direction for today. And I said, yeah, but the point of preaching and teaching is to help each of us develop a deeper relationship with God. What's a sign that somebody has a deeper relationship with God? A big sign is they, they have a life of worship. They have a life where they love to sing praises to God. You know, they love to pour out their hearts in song to God. Sing to the Lord a new song. Lift him up. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, the glory that's due his name. And if, and if worshiping is just like going through the motions for you, think about how, how developed, how deep is your relationship with God? Because we're going to be doing that all throughout eternity, right? Worship is going to be with us throughout all eternity. So get used to it. You're going to be doing a lot more of it in the future, right? So there's an element of maturity, of gold, silver, and precious jewels. So God, you know, Paul's changing gears and he's saying, okay, we're talking about a building. We're talking about materials that is used to build up the kingdom of God and the church. There's the good stuff, which is gold, silver, and jewels. And then there's this, there's this other elements, wood, hay, and straw, you know, elements that are not very valuable. And now Paul says, and Paul gets really serious right here. This is probably the most serious part of the letter so far. He says in verse 13, and this is coming for each one of us who follow Christ. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. You know, somebody, uh, <laughs> somebody said in the prayer meeting, he says, you know, a lot of Christians are going to get to heaven and they're going to smell like they just came out of a fire sale, right? So... There is there's an element of the, ju of the judgment seat of Christ where each one of us who follow Jesus is going to go through a refining fire of judgment. And everything that we've done, all the work and the service done for Christ is going to be tested by that fire. This fiery test is going to determine the quality of the work and service you did for Christ. It's a, value, it's a fire of evaluating our life, not just what we did, not just what we said, but even the motives for why we did and why and did what we did and said what we said. As a follower of Jesus, what you have done, what have you done with your life? Because according to this passage here in Corinthians, only that which God likens to gold and silver and precious stones, only that is what you can take with you into eternity. If your work for Christ is quality, then you're going to be rewarded by God. I had a question as I read this. I hope you too, as you were reading 1 Corinthians 3 this week, right? Everybody? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was reading it. Um, uh, as you were reading 1 Corinthians 3, maybe a question came up and said, you know, it says there in verse 14, if the work survives, in other words, if God evaluates your work and he says that's gold, that's silver, that is precious stones, right? And that work survives. It says, then that builder will receive a reward. 
And by the way, the reward isn't just heaven. The reward isn't just eternal life. Now, I don't want to say just eternal life because that is the, that's the main thing that as Christians we are all looking forward to when we pass from this life into eternity is we're going to have eternal life with God in heaven. But the Bible also says for Christ followers, there is an additional, there's, an, a, there's a bonus to getting to heaven and that is a reward for the works that we've done, Right? There is a reward. So my question was, what's that reward going to be? What's the reward? All right, Lord, I'm ready. Tell me what the reward's going to be because maybe I'll, I'll even work harder for it. Maybe I'll even get more dedicated to the kingdom of God than I already am. What is the reward going to be? And the answer is, are you ready for it? I don't know. I don't know. It's still a mystery. It, it kind of ticks me off when I get to those moments because, you know, the Bible says, study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Plumb the depths of the word of God. Study, study, study. Check every verse of every chapter of every book in the Bible. What does it say about rewards in heaven? What does it say specifically about what those rewards are going to be? It doesn't say what the rewards are going to be. There will be rewards, but it doesn't say. Jesus said this at the end of the Bible, the last book in Revelation, the last chapter, chapter 22. He says, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. What is he going to give to us? We don't know. He see, Jesus sees everything. He knows all things. He knows the quality and the sincerity of your work. He knows your sacrifice. Jesus also knows your motives and why you are doing what you do. Your heart's desire. Yeah. You will have your, oh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a good word. Psalm 37 and verse 4. Thank you for that. What will the reward be? The good news is that when what we've done to help grow and advance God's kingdom, when that is judged by God and our motives are right and sincere, Jesus says that we are going to be rewarded. God doesn't tell us what the rewards are going to be, but he says we are going to be rewarded. So here it is now. If you're hoping to get a reward, it would be nice to know on what criteria God is going to judge it. In other words, well, what does God see as gold, silver, and precious jewels? And what does God see as stuff that is just going to burn up in the fire of the, the, the refining fire of judgment, right? So I made this graph, this graphic, because last week's graphic was popular. So I said, hey, I'm going two for two today, or the two, two for two in two weeks. What kind of building materials will make it through the fire of judgment? You know, pretty good question. One of, them, one of them is someone who faithfully serves Jesus. I put this form in a question. In fact, I put this form in a question for your bulletins. So those of you who love to write down the fill in the blanks, who, so now you don't need to come to me at the end of the service and say, what were those words in the fill in the blanks when I forget to say them? I'm going to say them today for sure. Number one, how faithfully did you serve Jesus? How faithfully did you serve Jesus? If Jesus told you to do something, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you say, yes, Lord? Because by the way, no, Lord is not a Christian phrase. <laughs> you can't say he's Lord if you're going to tell him no when he tells you to do something. How faithfully did you serve Jesus? Number two, how well did you obey the Great Commission? 
You know what the Great Commission is? You know, the joke is on this one. What's the Great Commission? Somebody says, I don't know, 10, 12%. It's not the Great Commission in the Bible, right? The great <laughs> All you salespeople love that joke, right? I wish it were. My mom's a salesperson. She doesn't get 10 or 12%. Anyway, let me get back to this. The Great Commission is when Jesus, right before he, sent, he ascended into heaven, after his resurrection, he's on a mountain with his followers, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, which is great to know, because Jesus is now the boss of everything in heaven and earth, and he won that right back when he defeated sin and death, and he rose from the dead. So he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Why do we give 18% of our, of our monthly offerings and tithes and income? Why do we give 18% of it to missions? Partially because, yes, we are, to commit, we are to complete the Great Commission and make disciples of all nations right here in Sonoma County, but we don't have to limit ourselves to, to investing in the kingdom of God and supporting other people who are making disciples in other places in the world. Right? So how faithfully are we obeying the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations? That's going to be gold or silver or jewels. Number three, how victorious were you over sin? How victorious were you over sin? Now, those of you who have a, a real sensitive conscience could say, well, gosh, I feel like terrible. I feel like I sin every day. And I believe that in some way, shape, or form, whether in thought, if not in deed, each of us sins in some way every day. So, but the question is, how victorious were you over sin? It's not that all of you and I are going to be ever going to become sinless, but the point is over time, not that we would become sinless, but over time we would sin less, right? Having victory over certain sins and addictions and, and stumbling uh, th uh, habits that, that uh, don't allow us to run the race that God wants us to. How victorious were you over sin? Number four, how well did you control your tongue or your speech? Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, right? James chapter three has a whole chapter on how destructive the tongue and our, spe and our speech can be. How, and, and in fact, it what James says in that chapter is if, if you can learn to control your tongue, you can control your entire body. If you can learn to control what you say and let your words be wholesome and not unwholesome speech, let your words build each other up and not tear other people down, you know, let your words be words of encouragement and not words of slander or backbiting or gossip, you know, if we can have that, boy, that would be gold and silver and precious stones. Can we rein in our tongue and not verbally assault or abuse other people with it? And then finally, uh, and there's more to it, but the number five that I have, what did you say or do that has any eternal value in the life of another person? What did you say or do that has any eternal value in the life of another person? You know? I used to have a poster on my wall when I was at K-Love Radio. This was 20-some years ago. And the, and the poster said, did you make any difference in anyone else's eternity this week? Did you make any difference in anyone else's eternity this week? So that's what's all on the good side. That's the gold and silver and the precious stones. Now, what about on the dark side? <laughs> what about on the side that is going to burn up in the fire of God's judgment? Okay, here's, 
Here's one of them, a person who does Christian activity. I mean, they could be preaching or teaching or singing or writing uh, or uh, recording or, or doing whatever they're doing, serving even. They're doing a Christian activity, but they're doing it, their motives are they're doing it for the attention and the applause of others. I just want to be noticed by other people. I want to have other people come up and tell me how great I am. Okay, that motive for doing what you're doing, that's wood, hay, and straw. That's going to burn up. A person who de-emphasizes evangelism. Ah, it doesn't matter whether we uh, fulfill the Great Commission or not. God basically is going to grandfather everybody in anyway. Jesus died for them all. They're all going to go to heaven anyway, rather than saying, well, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says, whoever believes in him would not perish and have eternal life. How are they going to get a chance to believe unless they hear and believe the good news? And how are they going to have a chance to hear the good news unless somebody is proclaiming and sharing the good news with them? And how is that person going to share the good news with them unless they are sent? That's another reason why we do missions. Because that word sent is the Latin word missio. That's where missionaries come from. They are sent by God and sent by congregations and supported by them so they can go and complete the great commission around the world. So we don't want to be a people or a church that de-emphasizes evangelism or people who are apathetic toward lost people. Who's saying somebody's going into a Christless eternity and we say, oh well, too bad for them. Do not have that attitude. A person, wood, hay, and stubble, who continually gives in to temptation. And then after they give in to temptation, they say, well, I'm only human. Just like the song in the 80s. I'm only human, born to make mistakes. You know? You know? And, you, and you, li you listen to that song, and I listen to the song, and I say, yeah, I guess I am. I'm only human. Right? No, Jesus says that he gives us the power with his Holy Spirit not to yield to temptation. Don't we pray that every time we pray the Lord's Prayer? Don't let me yield to temptation. Right? So a person who continually gives in to temptation, and then afterward they're making excuses for it. Wait till you get to chapter 5. You're going to see this terrible sin going on in the church. Don't give in to that. And then wood, hay, or straw, somebody who tries to credit self. Whatever you did, whatever you said, uh, it could have been awesome. It, everybody could have said that was amazing uh, thing you did for the kingdom of God. And we all applaud you for it. And all the person wants to do is take credit for themselves and give no glory to God. I remember one time this lady said, I don't want to be the person who robs God of his glory by saying, look what I did. Look what I did. You know, let everything be done to the honor and the glory of Christ. So that's serious stuff. Paul gets in there and he says, there will be a refining fire. There's going to be a Christ's judgment for believers. And it's not just judgment for being saved or not saved because in Christ we are already saved going to heaven. But the judgment is going to be when we get to heaven, what kind of rewards will there be for us and, and that reward is going to be based on whether or not what we did with our lives was on the gold and silver and the precious stones. And just look down the list and say, you know, this is, we only have one life to live and it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ and for his honor and glory will last. So let's have our lives filled with the gold and the silver and the jewels. Let's try to help build up God's church, God's people. Go on to the next slide and we'll close with this. 
God's temple, you know, it's so funny. Paul goes back and forth, starts with agriculture. Let's talk, no, he actually starts with, with infants, right? Infants and milk or meat. So there's an analogy. Then he goes over to planting with agriculture. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but it was God who gave the growth. Then he switches over to a building metaphor and he says, I built the foundation. The rest of the people are building up on the foundation, but it better be solid material. It better be God-honoring material that is gold and silver and, and jewels because otherwise there's going to be a refining fire of Christ and, and the stuff that wasn't done for him and his way to honor him is going to burn up. And then finally now he switches to another metaphor and he says, hey, by the way, the building we're talking about, the church, it's not a physical building. It's not the physical four walls and the roof and the floor. The building of Christ's church is people. God's temple is now the church. Look what he says. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So somebody, you know, I'd go back to the, the refining judgment. I'd say only what's done for Christ will last. Lord, I want my life to be full of gold and silver and precious stones. I want to be investing eternally in the kingdom of God. And I want to help build on that foundation that Paul laid when he preached the gospel way back in the first century. I want to build on that foundation and grow up and mature the church of Jesus Christ. And that church of Jesus Christ, it's not a physical building, it's people. So investing in people and in their lives and in blessing their lives, whether alleviating their suffering or whether helping them grow up in the Christian faith or whether they're helping them become followers of Jesus, there is where the building up of God's temple is taking place because you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you. Let's let our lives be full of that kind of building so that when the fire comes and Jesus says, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me, part of that reward is going to be deposited into your account. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, Lord, thank you that because of your word and your revelation to us that we can see our lives the way you see us. You reveal your will to us in, in, this, in this New Testament, in, in this Bible that, that we have the privilege of reading every day. And Lord, in this moment, right now, talking about building on a foundation and, and having a refining fire that's going to judge all of our works, Lord, we, we want to, before that even happens, Lord, we pause this morning and we take a look, an honest look, and examine our own lives like King David, who wrote Psalm 139, Lord, we ask you to search our lives, where he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and try me and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me if in the way everlasting. Lord, if there's anything in my life or my attitudes that offends you, if there's anything that I'm doing that is just for my own self-aggrandizement, just to get all the credit for myself, Lord, please purge me of that now. Help me to realize that the, the true joy in living is seeing you lifted up, not me. 
And may your kingdom keep coming and growing and expanding as we invest in the kingdom of God with gold and silver and precious jewels, all the kind of things that build up the body of Christ and help it to grow. Help each one of us do his or her part the way that you've gifted us for that. Lord, you say you are a rewarder of any person who diligently seeks you. And so, Lord, I look forward as I walk with you every day to know you better, to love you deeper, to follow you more closely as I continue walking in this Christian pathway. Lord, keep my eyes, keep all of our eyes on Jesus, who's the beginner and the finisher of our faith. And may he get all the credit and the honor when it's all said and done. In Jesus' name, amen.